Good evening. I'm Kate France. And I'm Tabby Tyler. Tonight we talk about power consolidation in crisis. So grab a beverage. It's time for a night in. For my birthday, my friend Sheila and my friend Dave, both, both <laughs> bought me a bottle of Hendrix, uh, the midsummer solstice gin, you know, the, the flowery one. And I will tell you what, it is getting me through this quarantine. I'm, uh, I'm so specific with my gin. It's, it's either delicious or, you know, my great grandmother's perfume. There is no in between for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like floral gin a lot, actually. But I've noticed I like just floral flavors in general. Like, I like floral beer. I, I tend more towards fruity or spicy or sour. Mead, wine, and sour beers for me. And uh, lately, I can tell time based on whether or not I'm a bad mom if I start drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's after five. She can hang. But now that we are drinking, we can comfortably address what's going on in the world around us. Tabby and I have noticed a trend. Yeah, and this isn't anything new or surprising, but it's still something we've noticed and want to comment on. There's a lot of chaos out there right now, and during an emergency, many things can happen. So today we're going to talk about power grabs. And not Donald Trump's infamous grab him by the pussy power grab. No, we're referring to the blatant way politicians worldwide are using COVID to consolidate power, for example... In Russia, Putin has been able to successfully quiet protests by taking advantage of limits on social gathering. And they were protesting because he voted in favor of a measure that would reset his term limit count so he could be in power two more presidential cycles. In Algeria, limits on social gathering have also limited the people's protests for democratic reforms. In China, COVID-19 has served as an excuse to increase surveillance of citizens within the country. And in South Korea, surveillance data is being used to broadcast private details about the movement of individuals with the virus as an effort to, finger quotes, protect people who may have come into contract, contact with them. And... In many countries, including China, Thailand, Cambodia, Venezuela, Bangladesh, and Turkey, governments are detaining journalists and anyone who openly criticizes the government's response to the COVID crisis. In Hungary, President Orban has used his majority in parliament to secure himself the power to rule by decree, uh, presumptively arguing that the virus has led to a state of emergency necessitating his unlimited power. He now has the ability to imprison anyone who spreads what he considers false news. Yeah, which is, you know, to protect the people from misinformation and obviously not to disrupt the assurances of checks and balances. And I mean, speaking of limiting voices, there has also been an increased limitations on access to information. The Trump administration has been the least compliant of any American administration with the Freedom of Information Act. Yeah, tell me more about that. So the Freedom of Information Act requires the full or partial disclosure of previously unreleased information by the government upon request. The Trump administration has requested that people limit their requests under the Freedom of Information Act, insisting that they only be made by handwritten mail, citing COVID as the reason, which I'm sure is just his way of supporting the Postal Service. Imagine. So I want to talk about the ways leaders consolidate power, just to really bring to light all of the ways it is done around us. 
Yeah, having a loyal base of followers is one way, be them the military or government administrators. Trump, for example, has surrounded himself with a bunch of people afraid to tell him no. In history, a lot of rulers new to power would distribute favors to individuals to keep them loyal to them. Uh, Like in ancient Rome, the new emperor would pay off the Praetorian Guard to ensure his safety. The sixth emperor, Galba, famously refused to pay the Praetorian Guard their expected bonus and instead decided to economize, a decision that ended very badly for him. In current times... President Putin enjoys the loyalty of his own administration. The decision to terminate Putin's term limit was written in an amendment put forward by his loyal administrator, Valentina Tereshkova. He was she sounds like a villain from Black Widow. Oh, yeah. He was swift in supporting her proposal. Another way to consolidate power is to silence those who oppose you. Freedom of speech has been tentatively given and ruthlessly taken away for centuries. And you can measure how free speech is by measuring the freedoms of the press. A perfect example is Hungary, where the government can now arbitrarily decide what is true and what is false information and imprison those who produce what is considered to be incorrect or harmful. So it is very clear how open the window of opportunity is for these leaders right now. Now, since this is a history show, let's talk about one of our favorite events in history. We debated rehashing this because we've talked about it before in a previous show, but it's just such a good example. It is so hard not to talk about it again. Yeah, in our show on populism, we talked about Lenin's rise to power in Russia and how he used popular opinion to consolidate power. But we wanted to talk again about this time period with a little more detail because the shift in power dynamics was thanks to more than just a charismatic popular leader. We now want to talk about the consolidation of power the Soviet way. It's extremely difficult to pinpoint where you should even begin when trying to talk about the rise of Soviet Russia. Do you start with the revolutions of the early 20th century? Do you go back to the emancipation of the serfs? Or do you go back even further to the period of time where Russia turned inward and effectively missed the Renaissance and the Reformation? Every event in Russian history, great or small, contributed to the rise of the Soviet Union. So where do you start? You've heard historians describe intellectual contagions? Sure. I think that an intellectual contagion was the undoing of the Russian monarchy, and I think the contagion was Western liberty. Such as the right to a constitution and the freedom of man. Exactly. These were liberties deprived of many Russian citizens. Even into the 19th century, Russia was ruled by a political system largely similar to that of feudalism, and the citizens of the lower classes were granted little to no rights. That tracks. However, Russian citizens would be introduced to the ideas of Western liberty by the invasion of a very well-known French army, the Army of Napoleon. Did you know that Napoleon lost upwards to 80% of his army in Russia? No one takes Moscow. (laughs) No one. But even though Russia won, the army of Napoleon didn't just bring war, it brought ideas. 
peasant revolts became more prevalent throughout the first half of the 19th century, and in 1861, Tsar Alexander II freed the peasants by enacting the emancipation of the serfs. I see what you're saying. So, when the serfs returned from war, they came back with a head full of Western ideas. Yeah, and suddenly the status quo seemed like a pretty bad deal. Within the same time frame, two schools of thoughts emerged among intellectuals, those who wanted to adhere to the old way and those who desired more Western-styled reform. The old guard were the Slavophiles, and the reformists became the Marxists. The emancipation of the serfs did little to bring actual freedom to the peasants. Though they were no longer tied to the nobles, they were still tied to the land. Freedom comes with a cost, though taxes. But the lands they were given were either not enough or of such bad quality that earning an income to pay those taxes was a struggle. Revolutionary ideals continued to grow and take hold of both the intelligentsia and the lower classes. In 1905, there was a peaceful march in St. Petersburg where the people appealed for better working conditions and a popular assembly. Tsar Nicholas II ordered his troops to open fire on the demonstrators, killing more than a thousand people in an event that would become known as Bloody Sunday. Bloody Sunday. You know, it, it always made me feel less bad thinking about the whole end of the Romanov dynasty thing when I think about how poorly Nicholas handled all of that. Yeah, and he never got any better at handling it either. As the industrial workers went on strike, the peasants sympathetically took their side, leading to more uprisings, which Nicholas also suppressed with force. These uprisings came to be known as the Revolution of 1905. And in this unrest, many political parties emerged, including the Bolsheviks. Nicholas II eventually conceded to the demands of the people, enacting a legislative parliament called the Duma which was constantly dissolved and reformed by the Tsar due to conflicting interests of the people and the privileged classes. It's always about the interests of the privileged classes. And as Russia struggled to reform internally, they became entangled in an unpopular affair known as World War I. Insert mass disorder and chaos. As Russia suffered mass casualties, Revolutionary ideals began to reemerge. These ideals were further fueled by the abysmal administration of the state, which Nicholas had left in the incapable hands of his wife and her mystic advisor Rasputin. The failures on the front and in the capital engendered the revolution of 1917. As authority collapsed in the capital, the Duma declared a provisional government. The provisional government was recognized by the Allies, and was therefore committed to aiding in a vastly unpopular war. Other political parties used this as an opportunity to challenge the authority of the provisional government. The Soviets used this as an opportunity to gain public approval. Lenin, a radical Marxist, was returned to Russia from exile and began mounting revolutionary fervor. As the war effort failed, many troops abandoned their duties to join in a Bolshevik uprising. The fast-growing chaos led to the Soviets, the Bolsheviks, and Lenin to join forces and storm the Winter Palace. By November, Russia had a Marxist government. The Romanov dynasty came to a swift end with the assassination of Tsar Nicholas, his wife Alexandra, and their five children, among them the well-known Anastasia. She died. The movie lied to you. It lied. This new Marxist government was led by Lenin and Trotsky. 
For two years, Lenin enacted multiple social reforms and established the secret police that would come to be well-known throughout the 69-year reign of the Soviet Union. The secret police had many makeovers, but you might recognize the name of their eventual incarnation, the KGB. Yep. Lenin founded the Cheka, which over time became the KGB, and this organization would be instrumental in enforcing the necessary social coercion and repression needed to maintain order in a collectivist society. Oppression by intimidation and coercion in order to force people to stay in line. Sounds like consolidation of power. When Lenin died of a stroke two years after gaining power, Joseph Stalin would ultimately use the secret police to enact bloody purges of government officials and civilians alike. And he used the most powerful weapon of all to consolidate power, murder. Slowly, Stalin used his power to remove any Bolsheviks who played a significant role in Lenin's Soviet government by replacing them with his own loyal appointees. Then, by using similar tactical maneuvers, murders, and terror campaigns, he built a web of influence throughout Eastern Europe. After World War II, the Red Army invaded multiple countries in Eastern Europe, and the first thing they did when they got there was take over the local radio stations. Because you can't have a proper Soviet takeover without the massive spread of propaganda. And when they invaded countries, they appeared to show an interest in forming coalition governments, But in truth, they used this as a ploy to infiltrate the government and slowly replace leaders with communist leaders. And before anyone knew it, there was a communist party in control of the country. And there you have the Soviet way. It's crazy to think how the Russian government still adheres to misinformation campaigns to gain power. And the scope of those campaigns is mind-boggling. You uh, sent me an article recently about how Russia is purposefully attempting to discredit science in America. Yeah, the vaccination story. Yeah, it's like something out of a 90s spy thriller, honestly. So Putin was in the KGB in the 70s and 80s and is connected to a KGB misinformation campaign, which spread the false story that HIV was engineered by the U.S military as a racial bioweapon to kill black americans it was crazy effective and fake news was run in 25 languages and 80 countries and is still shared today even after the russians admitted it all in 1992 that's insane (laughs) and all of that was without aunt karen on facebook Exactly. Essentially, Putin took his old KGB playbook and had it modified so everyone's why-not could help out the Kremlin. And he did it by taking aim at the CDC. Then he followed that up by spreading misinformation about Ebola, HIV again, and then by using the power of the internet and Facebook, assisted in the rise of the anti-vaxxer. Christ. Yeah, according to the Times, Putin started with Ebola, but almost word for word copied the original script for the HIV plot, like The Force Awakens did with A New Hope, but in a horrifying and deadly way. They spread false articles with faked photos of Ebola patients being taken to the CDC from the Atlanta airport, which they falsely stated caused a local outbreak in the States. And to be honest, I totally thought that it was real at the time, but nope, Russian propaganda. 
They also spread a massive misinformation campaign implicating America in manufacturing Ebola as a population-controlled bioweapon. And doesn't this all sound familiar? We have to destroy a Death Star. No. Then they brought back the HIV story because they didn't have the internet the first time. It circulated so much between word of mouth for the last 40 years and its current cyber resurgence that, according to the Times article, quote, six researchers centered at the University of California, Los Angeles, found that over decades, the false narratives around AIDS had forced a lack of trust among African Americans that kept many from seeking medical care. And quote, more than one fifth of survey respondents viewed people who take new protective drugs as guinea pigs for the government. End quote. I kind of feel like we aren't afraid enough of Russia. We're not. Finally, we have my ultra pet peeve, and I'm just going to say it. The anti-vax movement at best is bullshit, debunked pseudoscience. But honestly, it's mostly Russian propaganda dedicated to weakening the American populace against viral outbreaks. Meanwhile, in Russia, Putin makes a big show of getting his vaccines out on time and has strengthened regulations requiring mandatory vaccinations. All the while, accounts traced back to St. Petersburg are sharing faux news articles claiming vaccines are the cause for autism in children, especially African-American males even though this has been debunked countless times. The Times article called it, quote, salvos on the institutions that we rely on to understand the truth, end quote. And I can't imagine saying it any better. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, a way of gaining a foothold in another country is definitely by destabilizing it from a distance. Russia has been power-grabbing for decades, Literally, just using secret police tactics, even years after the Cold War, to sneak into the territories and destabilize the unity of nations. And they do it openly. Like you said, in 1992, they admitted to spreading false information about HIV, but still spread the same false information and people still believe it. I'm not sure what's scarier, leaders limiting free speech or governments spreading misinformation. Yeah, I guess usually they just go hand in hand. It's crazy to think that other countries are manipulating us when we already have to scrutinize the actions of our own government. Oh, wow. Yeah, now I'm really glad we're drinking for this. Well, we have to end the show for now, but uh, let's do a little housekeeping while we're still here. Yes, uh, we hope everyone is still doing well and not going crazy in their quarantine. And uh, I'm sorry we've been a little inconsistent with getting shows out, as uh, everyone might have figured out. It's actually really freaking hard to work at home with a toddler or any child in general. Yeah, and finding a quiet room to record in and a house with four other roommates who are also home has been difficult. The internet has been troublesome and laggy. The desire to clean my house and do yard work is overwhelmingly strong. And getting the show out has consequently been harder than before. But thank you, as always, for listening. Yeah, and if there's anything you want to learn about, hit us up. We'll do the research, and you can just sit back and enjoy. And in the meantime, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, see you next time. Bye. Bye. There is a lot of chaos out there right now. And during an emergency, many things can happen. Siri, turn on Do Not Disturb. Siri, turn on Do Not Disturb. Siri, turn on Do Not Disturb. It's not doing it.
Siri, turn on Do Not Disturb mode. We came to a swift end and bark. <laughs> I'm sorry, arrows barking like crazy, and I don't know what for. Thank you.